Thank you to Wildcare and Wildlife Acoustics for sponsoring the Bat Chat podcast. Can you hear that? We can. Wildlife Acoustics creates the world's leading bat acoustic monitoring tools, designed to help scientists make impactful discoveries for our biologically diverse planet, turning this into this. Visit wildlifeacoustics.com to learn more. Wildcare are committed to supporting the ecology industry and are specialists in supplying a large range of monitoring, conservation and habitat management products, as well as equipment hire and service and repair. With a large range of products coupled with friendly and expert help and advice, Wildcare is a favourite supplier for ecologists nationwide. Go to wildcare.co.uk to see the full range and quote BatChat at the checkout for 10% off all bat detectors and bat boxes. This week we have bat conservation in action for you in South Gloucestershire. This is BatChat from the Bat Conservation Trust. Hello and welcome to Bat Chat. This is the podcast where we bring you the stories from the world of bat conservation. I'm Steve Rowe, a BCT trustee, and if you're a regular listener, it's good to have you back with us. And if this is your first time listening to Bat Chat, welcome along. Episodes are being released every second Wednesday from now through to the spring, and you can join the conversation online using the hashtag BatChat. That's all one word. As we meet each of our guests, you'll hear from people working to make a difference in the world of bat conservation. As well as keeping up with the latest news and hearing from people in the world of bats, we hope that you'll be inspired to get involved because bats need our help. Now if, like me, you're looking forward to the sunny days of spring, you'll like these next few minutes. Back on episode 11, we heard Jim Mulholland talking to me about his veteranisation of trees project, and last March I joined Jim out in the field on an estate in Gloucestershire in some woodland where a team of arborists are volunteering their time to help Jim with his project. So we joined Jim at the start of the day in an ancient woodland where he explains what the plan for the day is and tells us about the project he's got running on the estate. Later on in this episode, there's slightly more background noise than you're used to here on Batchat because of the site's location right next to the M5 motorway. So it's a nice spring day at the end of March. It's chiff chaff singing and Jim Mulholland's back on and we're in South Gloucestershire on an estate called the Tortworth Estate. So Jim, nice to have you on again. Hi Steve. What is the estate and, and who owns it? The Tortworth Estate is perhaps one of the best estates in the country for bats, as Steve raises his eyebrows at me. Big claim. <laughs> it is a big claim, but I can substantiate that. We have 15 of the UK species here. The only ones we are missing are grey long-eared and alcothoe, and I'm hopeful for alcothoe, like everyone else is, I guess, in the country. I mean, that's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty good. It's not bad at all. And considering it's five minutes from where I live, all the better. It's a, a privately owned estate. I think it comprises somewhere in the region of 2,500 acres and it's a mix of wonderful habitats. So we are currently sat in Daniels Wood and this is an area of ancient semi-natural woodland and it has other habitats such as organic pasture. It has two freshwater lakes. It has lots of old buildings. And my original involvement here was to do with lesser horseshoe bats which were hanging up in the outbuilding of Robert and Sally's house and they kept seeing all this poo on their mower and thought it was 
a huge colony of mice that had moved in and suddenly decided to look up and saw these bats. And it kind of started from there. So I was involved with some work with Lesser Horseshoes and it snowballed from there, really. So I've been involved with enthusiasts, the National Enthusiast Project, led by Daniel Hargus down at the lake. And we recorded them down there, although we didn't catch any. We've had sightings of Lysler's bats. I had a wonderful evening where I was looking at a bat thinking it looks like a nocturne. It sounds a bit like a nocturne, but it's a little bit too high. And then all of a sudden, a nocturne appeared next to it. And so I had the confirmation. And then nice. subsequently, we found a young uh, Lysers in a bat box as well. I've been working here since the... I think it's 2013. And my work for the last five years or so has been very much focused on bats and trees here. And so my evidence base for the two talks at the National Bat Conference has come from, largely from data from these sites. And we're onto the new chapter today. And the rumble that we can just hear in the background is the M5 motorway. So for listeners who travel south on the M5 and pass the Michael Wood services, the block of trees over the hill on the left is basically where we are. So what are we doing here in Daniel's Woods? We've, I mean, at the start of the day, there's about seven arborists working just down at the bottom of the field from us. And we'll come on to that later. But what are we doing up here in Daniel's Woods? At the moment, I'm trying to get my tablet to work, <laughs> which isn't playing ball. But we are doing some work as part of our five-year project funded by the People's Trust for Endangered Species, the Arbor Cultural Association, and supported by Steel. And the title of that is Improving the Future for Two Woodland Bat Species. We have two main strands of the project. The first one is focusing on the efficacy and efficiency of tree surveys for bats and it's a topic that I've spoken a lot about and raised the issue that the surveys that we undertake are really quite limited. I started some work trialling the use of trail cameras to see if we could use them, use technology and replace surveyor efforts. So the first strand of the project is really just refining that. So we have a number of Becksteins and Barberstow tree roosts here and we will be deploying those trail cameras to see if we can improve and refine that approach and then hopefully see that begin to roll out and improve our surveys for bats in trees. The second strand is then moving the next step, which is the really exciting step, which is can we create bat roosts in trees by wounding them in deliberate ways? And this is something that various people have tried for a number of years, I believe. And I think the the main limitation with previous work is that it's just not been monitored and that's because it's very very difficult to establish whether bats are using a tree so we have the two elements of the project really coming together that we will create these features and the design of those is very much guided by the data from the bat tree habitat key and then once we have created them we'll be in a position where we can use the trail cameras to establish whether they're used and hopefully they're used by the species that we intend them to be used by. So one of the, the strands of the project is to look at the temperature and humidity regimes, both in natural features, the features that we create. And we are in Daniel's Wood at the moment because we are going to put some data loggers in bat boxes to see how they compare. I think last time you came on, I accused you of trashing trees. And then since then, we've had Vicky Bankson on the podcast and she talked about the project she's been doing both here in the UK and across Europe. And the results from that are pretty spectacular really so it's nice to see somebody else is taking it on here in the uk the data loggers you've got so they're they're data loggers that are familiar to to people who do bat work and typically they go in caves and, and in roof sites how are you fixing them into the bat boxes today good question <laughs> not really sure the 
the flat speglers have a section of wood at the back, so we will screw a small screw in that and then hang them from a piece of wire. I think for the round speglers, I'll have to settle for just resting them at the bottom of the the box and hope that that gives us some data. I admit that that's not where the bats will necessarily be roosting, but it will give us some comparison, at least for an empty bat box and an empty cavity. Yeah, great stuff. Vicky was my boss of the Ancient Tree Forum. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, well, my first boss of the Ancient Tree Forum, and she's inspirational. Um, I think we... So this project actually came from working with Vicky on a European project called Vet Search, where we were developing a certification scheme for veteran tree management. And I've kind of had this realisation that we do fantastic work in ecology. We do fantastic work with bats, and typically we scrimp and save and try to find the money to do the work. And I was delivering a training course with Vicky and she basically flipped that on his head and said that through the years she worked in conservation, they would find money here, they would scrimp and save and try and get what they, they need to do an okay job. And actually, we do fantastic work, we just need to sell it better. So we need to say, this is valuable for this reason and it's worth this much and therefore I want this money and we should be going after the big figures really and it's about asking for what we need rather than what we think we'll get away with and so that inspired me Vicky and I then were delivering another training course in Finland we were sat in a bar discussing various projects and her work and that's where the embryo of this project was born and so I came back from Finland and within three weeks the People's Trust for Endangered Species had their current round of grant closing was finishing. And that did not make any sense. <laughs> Within three weeks, uh, the People's Trust for Endangered Species had a, a deadline for one of their grant applications. So I submitted and here we are. Now I need to focus on this. because otherwise... Yeah, no, get on with that. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise I'll run out of battery. Why is this tablet not working? <laughs> So Jim, we've finished putting up the data loggers in, in Daniel's Wood and we've come down to the bottom of the field and we can tell we're a lot closer to the motorway and we can hear bits and pieces of chainsaw noise in the background. What are the guys in the trees down here doing? So they are working on the trees that will be used for creating the bat roost. So the first step is to remove the top of the tree and that's because we are cutting features into tree and we're worried about potential failure through torsional loading, so twisting motion of the tree. So that's step one. So we have four or five people down there at the moment, just taking tops out of trees. Then the next step, we will be looking at actually cutting the features into the trees themselves. So we have two species we're catering for. We're looking at creating roots for Becksteins and Barberstown. And for each species, we are trying what we are calling instant roosts and future roosts. So the instant roosts are, as the name would suggest, suitable once they are cut. So effectively, it's a bat box in a living tree. And this is similar to a lot of other work that's been going on previously of cutting slits, etc. They are perhaps slightly more tailored to the individual species roosting requirements. But the idea is that, yeah, we take a section of tree out, a kind of a wedge from the front, we take the back off of it, we cut an entrance into it, and then we reinsert that lid effectively. The future roosts are where we are cutting wounds into the tree with the idea of anticipating how the tree will respond and how it will grow after the wounding. Yeah. So work from uh, Vicky Bankson, who you mentioned earlier, she has a nest box design. So the instant roost is very much like the nest box design, but it's, it's tailored for bats. 
her work has shown that after maybe five or so years, the lid gets basically spats back out of the tree as if the tree is rejecting it because it's no longer living, it's no longer part of that tree. So in conservation, we're looking at having various tools, and one of them might be an instant provision, but also we're looking at longer-term provisions as well. So the, the future roofs are doing just that. So we cut features into the tree. They're open to begin with. As the trees continue to grow, they will callus over and they will close over entirely. So effectively, what we should end up with is something that's very similar to a natural feature. It's covered in living functional wood, so we have water moving through that wood. It means that the temperature humidity regime should be as close as possible to living trees, as natural features as possible. And why are these better than bat boxes? We don't know at the moment, is the question. So we are experimenting, I guess. We are looking at can we increase the size of our toolbox and this is something that Vicky talks about as well that it will not be suitable in all situations we have selected trees here with the foresters that are of low economic value and low ecological value so they would have otherwise been removed and it's all about expanding the size of the toolbox we know that bat boxes have their place but we also know from studies that the temperature and humidity regimes are not as good or not the same at least as, as natural cavities and the concern there is that the individuals that use them especially if they're breeding perhaps will be less healthy if they're less healthy are they giving birth to young that are less healthy and will that have a, a knock-on effect to the populations year on year on year so it's, a, it's increasing the size of the toolbox right we're going to head down the hill and, and talk to some of the art guys who are making a lot of noise they are it's getting smoky here as well yeah. So we've come down the bottom of the field and we're now in a fairly steep woodland that's, and we can see the, the traffic on the M5 motorway. And there's a guy making a lot of noise up a tree. So he's taking the top of the tree out like you were, like you were saying. And he's probably, what, 15, 20 metres up the tree, something like that? It's raining sawdust. Once you've taken the top out of this tree, where about on the trees he making the cuts? we will be creating them between 5 and 10 metres on the main stem. So we're focusing all of the features on the main stem. We chose 5 to 10 metres because that's what the data from the battery habitat key says that we should do, basically. It talks about the, the highest proportion of maternity roosts recorded in trees or in that region. That could be down to bias data, but obviously we know that there's probably a preference to roost at a certain height, so below 5 metres is probably unsuitable. Uh, higher than that potentially gets less suitable as well because the bats experience more movements in the wind etc it's not a very dense woodland you know it's quite windy up here the winds you know quite, quite quickly do you know that there are barbs and bextines in this bit of woodland or is this an area that you've not surveyed yet so we're in daniel wood still we're in the other end of daniel's wood and the top end of daniel's wood is in a u-shape so overall the woodland is effectively in a y shape if you imagine sticking the, the south end on the bottom we are basically the the furthest north you can go and the furthest west you can go right next to the M5. The Becksteins are pretty much all roosted within Daniel's Wood, albeit slightly further south than where we are. There is one tree roost that's maybe 300, 400 metres from here, at Becksteins back. The Barber's Tail, however, they do use the woodland and I catch them on the rides in the woodland on the other side where we just were looking at the bat boxes. But to my knowledge, they don't roost in this woodland. So they roost further south than here, they roost further north than here but I haven't yet recorded any barbastel roosting in this woodland. The trees we selected, we have three sites on the estate for creating these features. We have Daniel's Wood, where we are now. Next week, we will be working in a woodland called Hawker's Grove, which is further south. 
and then we will be finishing off by one of the lakes. And so we kind of span north to south, maybe about two kilometres between the three areas, and that encompasses more of the areas where the barbastel roosts were. And what are the what are the tree species that you're targeting? Are you targeting particular species for the two different species of bats, or are you just trying it on everything? I'm less worried about individual tree species, especially for the instant roosts, because we're not waiting on any decay processes. We're not waiting on the trees to respond. We're essentially creating bat boxes in living trees. It would have been nice to use just one tree species for consistency. However, I had to go with what the forester provided me with, essentially. So we have a mixture, and it's a mixture of oak, a mixture of ash, uh, sweet chestnut, and some sycamore as well. And it depends. The, the makeup of individual tree species varies through the three different woodlands that we're working within. Ash is going to be an interesting tree species. The, the forester, as you can imagine, was very happy to give me all the ash trees that I wanted. <laughs> But I, I limited the, the number that we we're using just through concerns over the longevity and future stability. Uh, I'm still happy to create them in them. I think it will be a useful experiment. There's lots of talk about at the moment about what we are going to do with ash trees. And first of all, the hope is that we won't lose all of the ash trees. Second of all, there will be some that will contract ash die back but survive so they kind of get it and come out the other end okay and we know that trees that are in a more natural setting more diverse ecosystems are more likely to be resilient to ash diebacks and so we're in at least in Daniels Wood we're in an area of ancient semi-natural woodland some fantastic ground floor around us at the moment uh, so the the soil ecosystem here should be fairly healthy this section we're in now is a, a non-intervention area with the exception of what we're doing clearly um <laughs> So yeah, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about ash dieback here. However, it is inevitably going to have an impact. Yeah, I mean, you say the ground floor is nice. I mean, you can't actually see much soil at all. You've got bluebells starting to poke through. There's a carpet of dog's mercury. There's some wild garlic starting to... The smell of that's drifting down the hill. So yeah, it's nice. Wooden enemies, isn't it? And wooden enemies. Yeah. All the best stuff at all. Okay, it looks like the final guy has come down. It's tea time. So after a tea break from taking the weight out of the top of the canopy, we join Mark back at the tree where he's now going to create the actual feature for Becksteins on the trunk. So the feature that Mark here is about to make is a, an instant feature, so it's like creating a what essentially a bat box would do within a natural tree feature. So they're cutting a, a long rectangular block of wood out of the main stem of the tree, the tree trunk, and then they're cutting in from behind to release the back of it. And that's being released and lowered down to the ground and a chunk of that shaved off so that when it's placed back in the main stem and put in place with nails or screws, there's a natural cavity then then created. And that's what Mark here is about to create. So Mark here was just telling me that he's been an arborist for about the last 20 years. Is this the first time you've done this sort of work on this for this, yes. for this reason, Mark. Yeah, fat roots creation like this. I've done odd coronet cuts. I've done odd boring holes for birds and stuff like this. But yeah, specifically this precise um, a bat roost habitat creation. I've done that sort of stuff. I've done a fair survey for bats, looking for them in holes in trees, but actually creating scraps. This is the first time I've done that. Watching Sean there do it on the ground look fairly straightforward. How complicated is it being stuck in a harness on a rope? It's, it's a little bit trickier because you're using the tip of the bar and you've got to balance it. And it's not... It's not the sort of cut you make 
on a daily basis. It's not the sort of thing you do. I mean, you're pruning branches or cutting chunks off, so it's slightly different from what yeah, you yeah. do um, on the day-to-day as an arborist. Um, it's the same techniques. It's using the saw in the same way, but it's um, just slightly different to how you do it. Great stuff. I'll let you go on with it. Cool. You don't see Claire Bolden doing this on a podcast, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so this is a batch at first, um, I don't know, 10 metres off the ground in a harness. And I'm next to Mark, who's got a, a chainsaw in his hand. So Mark, just describe what you're about to do. I'm about to cut a big slot either side of this oak tree, 1.3 metres long down the tree and about 10 centimetres wide. We're going to remove that slot, lower it to the ground, cut the back off it to create habitat for Vetsteins habitat. Um, so yes, I'm going to make two parallel longitudinal cuts down the stem of the tree about 15 centimetres deep. Which reminds me I need to measure the bar of my chainsaw to work out where 15 centimetres is. <laughs> be a lot easier. Oh, there is writing. <laughs> where is it? <laughs> Absolutely. Into about there. We don't want So you can hear Mark is now making the final cut around the side of the tree, just to the left of where he's made the front cut, and that will release a metre-long piece of wood along the length of the trunk, which will be lowered down to the ground to be worked on. It's quite slow work, make sure that the cut is nice and clean. He's found himself in a nice little comfy position now, sat on the branch halfway up the tree. And as I'm still here watching Mark, there's a whole range of orange fluorescent jackets through the woodlands. Some of them halfway up trees, some of them on the ground. As the team works on four trees around us. The thumping noise is Mark hitting the piece that he's cut with the back of his with his hook, which he's going to use. Mark's having to go around the right-hand side of the piece now because the branch that he was sat on earlier is now in the way of where he needs to make the cuts. And the cut that's been made is facing south and it's an oak tree which is probably about 20 metres high and the cut's been made at around 8 to 10 metres up and there's no lower limbs on this oak tree. And he's getting in the bottom now, he's working quite carefully. And he's got to the bottom now now it's time for the final tests with the axe and there's one resistant bit in the middle which is just not going to be released easily at the top have you gone up above the opening so Jim, just describe the feature on the tree behind the one that Mark's working on. It's, it's for barbastels. So Will's creating one of the future roosts, which essentially is just a long slit in the face of the tree. And the idea there is that we create a split or crack type feature. We create a slightly wider opening and as the tree continues to grow, 
and talus around the wound itself. It covers over the majority of it and just leaves a small opening. And Mark now is just lowering this metre-long block of wood that he's cut out from, from the tree he's been working on. So the piece is now on the ground with Jim and Mark is just coming down. I have a weird hobby. So as the features are being brought down, they're being piled in the middle of the wood for everyone to work on. So the team have just been making cuts on the two metre-long sections, one for Barbastel and one for Beckstein's. And Mark is heading up the tree now to the cavities currently got there to place the data logger at the top, which is where hopefully the bats will be roosting. And then the metre-long section will be sent up so it can be screwed in place. So Jim is now attaching the metre-long section to Mark's rope, which is now getting hauled up. So in the front of Mark's block of wood which is going back in place there are two vertical slits which have been cut at 40 centimetres from the top and bottom and on the adjacent tree the block has had a artificial woodpecker hole drilled in using a battery powered electric drill. Woodpecker hole has been designed for Bextines and the two slits on Mark's tree here designed for Barvester. one tree per day per person. So this is the first time the team have done this and we met at 10 o'clock this morning and it's now getting on for 4 o'clock but Jim hopes that as people return to the site and repeat the same process for other trees that the process will become faster. So Mark's now attaching the data logger to the top of the feature where hopefully the bats are going to sit. Picture of that, data logger in, send drill down. And that's it, the piece is back in place, there's four screws in, holding it in place. And thanks to Jim for having me along for the day, and thank you to you for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you take a look at the show notes, you'll find links to Jim's social media and our other episodes on this subject. Now this series, we are running Batchat's first ever competition. Children's authors Emma Reynolds and Angela Mills have kindly donated prizes. Angela has donated a copy of Bobby the Brown on Geared Bat, signed by both Angela and Chris Packham, and Emma has donated a copy of her newly released book, Amara and the Bats. To enter the competition to win one of these brilliant books, all you have to do is write us a review about this podcast, Batchat, and the two winners will be picked at random at the end of this series. So there's only a few weeks left to do this. Not all podcast apps allow you to leave reviews, so you can find instructions in the show notes of this episode, and please note that we're only able to post prizes to addresses in the United Kingdom. The series continues in two weeks' time with the author of Bobby the Brown on Geared Bat, Angela Mills. So until then, I'll leave you with a clip of that next episode. I'll see you then. You know, Chris Packham did the forward, which is always lovely, and Kate did some lovely illustrations. So as a, my first attempt, I think it's been a, a pretty good a, attempt. When I go into schools and read the book, you know, the kids are so enthusiastic. And uh, I even had one little boy uh, say to me once, this is the best day of my life. And I thought, wow, that, that's amazing.
Now lots of you have seen me in branded t-shirts and hoodies with the Batchat logo on and you've all been asking me when they'll be available. Well, we're thrilled to let you know that a whole range of Batchat clothing and tote bags is now available for you on our T-Mail store. The link's in the show notes. Whether you're a long-time supporter or a new member of the Batchat family, we can't wait for you to share your photos of you wearing our merch on social media. Be sure to tag the Bat Conservation Trust in your posts. If you're listening to Batchat on Google Podcasts, we wanted to let you know that Google have announced they plan to discontinue their app later this year, so we recommend making the switch to an alternative podcast app, and we've put some links in the show notes to alternative apps that you can follow Batchat on so that you don't miss any future episodes.